Good morning, Grace Covenant Church. I come to you with some great news. We're going to meet together in two weeks. We are regathering on September 13th. We are very much looking forward to that event. Uh, we've been doing all sorts of things to prepare for that. We have new audio system. We have a new video system with four brand new cameras. And then we installed a bipolar, hold on, bipolar ionization air filtration system. I'm actually getting younger every moment I'm staying here in this room. I'm sleeping here at night now. I feel like I'm 59 all over again. <laughs> that was a good year. Uh, we have limited capacity for being able to gather, regather together, so we're going to need everyone to register early. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. You're going to need to wear your mask the entire time that you'll be here for the safety of other people and their friends that they go home to. And then, and then there will be no child care uh, on these first few Sundays. We're looking to fire up our children's ministry. If you're wondering, hey, when does the children's ministry get started? What you're really saying is, how can I volunteer in the children's ministry? Because the children's ministry, actually the church is run by volunteers. And at this point, we're getting a lot of the systems up and running. We just need volunteers to do that. So maybe you could contact the church and see how you could play a part in that. Let me tell you a little bit more about those things, those few things that are missing. We have two things left. One, we have to hire a makeup artist for me because of the new cameras. And two, we need to learn how to work our registration system. So next week, we're inviting everyone. It is our kind of dress rehearsal for uh, you being having a chance to be our live studio audience. And so this is what we need you to do. If you want to come next week, why don't you try out our reservation system, okay? It goes like this. You text to make a reservation here. You text the word invite to these numbers on the screen there. You go to the, I don't, know, I don't know how to do it. Just you text invite to those numbers and then it's gonna send you to some place and then you fill out some forms to make sure you're okay. Make sure you fill out all the forms until it's you know, all the way confirmed that you registered. That will help you when you come next Sunday. So if you wanna come next Sunday and give it a try, text, even right now if you want, text invite to that number and you can come next week. And then in two weeks, we're inviting the whole city, okay? Now, this week is a really great week. It, like, actually, this week starts 20 years ago. 20 years ago, uh, our executive pastor, Ray Anderson, and I said, you know, what are we going to do about what we'll be teaching here at Grace Covenant Church? Why don't we come up with a core curriculum? And so Ray and I got some smart people in a room, and we said, look, why don't we have a scope and sequence from everything from the pulpit all the way down to the children's uh, ministry curriculum? Let's, let's have a plan. And so the men and women in the room, we came, we, we, you know, we, we stole from other places. We went to seminary uh, notebooks and looked at their curriculum, right? What does it look to get a master's in Bible studies, M-A-B-S, a master's in biblical studies? And we've been using that as our core curriculum for the pulpit for the last, oh, 19 years or so. Here's how, here's how the seminary does it. Here's how we do it. They start your first year with a big picture surveys. We do that here. Then it just gets, it starts very broad and gets more narrow with each kind of discipline. Then it goes to a medium level. Those are studies of epics like the United Kingdom or the life of Christ. Then more narrow still where you'll do a study maybe on a single book of the Bible or a single topic that you might want to know about like evangelism. And then finally, it can get to like a microscopic, not wide angle, but microscopic where you spend like one let, just studying one word. And here at Grace, we, we had an 11-week study on one Hebrew word. It changes people's lives. It's the word sadiq or righteousness. People end up getting tattooed at the end of the thing sometimes. It's worth it. And that's what we do here at Grace. That's how you do it in seminary. That's what we do here at Grace. And sometimes the seminary will take you to an Israel trip. 
We do that too. <laughs> we go to Israel. We're going to go to Israel in 2021. We'd love you to join us in November. Sign, go online and sign up. Now, when I was in grad school, my first year, 1983, I was taking the survey of the Old Testament class. My first weekend, we did a thing called Walk Through the Bible. It was an international ministry. We met at a church, and we spent one day just learning the entire story of the Old Testament. Because when you pick up the Bible, sometimes it's really hard to know, like, what's the big idea? What's the storyline? Where do I start reading? Walk Through the Bible was invented for, to answer just those kind of questions. We took a lunch break on that Saturday morning, and I went to the instructor and said, this is revolutionizing my Bible reading. I want to become an instructor. He said, graduate and then give us a call. And I did. And in 1985, when I graduated from grad school, that was the first phone number I called, became an instructor, served walk through the Bible for 11 years, traveled all over the world teaching the Bible. Sometimes around Texas for sure, but foreign countries like Louisiana and Arkansas, Boston, and even Moscow. Anyway, when, as I was working here at the same time, we started doing the walkthrough Old Testament and New Testament here at our church, and we still that, do that about every five to seven years. All that to say is we're doing one today. We're doing a year through the Bible because Bible survey. And then uh, in January, we did an Old Testament called Walk Through the Bible Seminar, and we had over 1,200 people attend that. We were going to do a New Testament Walk Through the Bible Seminar on this Sunday, so we know the New Testament, and then COVID, stupid COVID. So we're going to do it in two, maybe three parts. This will be part one, and we're going to enjoy that. The New Testament itself is... Is the, the walkthrough is broken down in the life of Jesus and then the birth of the church and then the expansion of the church, the missions of the church. Today, we're just going to look at the life of Jesus Christ. Now, before we do, I want, you, I, want to, I want you to see that the structure of how the New Testament is written. Two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you're in the New Testament. And the overall structure looks like this. Uh, as you can see up on the screens or on your TV set, there's, there's, there's different genres of literature. And so the genre of history is, is going through, and those are the biographies of Jesus and the history of the church, the book of Acts. And then, then there's letters. Uh, the way we say letters is epistle. Epistle means letters, so there's letters to churches, and then there's uh, letters to, uh, to the pastors and letters in general. The way they look, you know, like over time, is this chart, and you'll get that when you come to the walkthrough seminar, and we, and we hand out the books, and that'll help you read through your Bible, like in order, in the New Testament. When we study the New Testament, it's very important for us to know the geography, so because the, the, the story itself is taking place geographically. So what I'd like to do now is show you the geography of the life of Jesus. Going at this pretty fast, but here's the geography of the Middle East itself, and then we zoom in on Israel, let me tell you about four bodies of water that would be very helpful to give us boundaries. The first one is the Sea of Galilee. That's a top. At the top, it's uh, seven miles by 14 miles. It's a beautiful lake. It's not really a sea. It's a Sea of Galilee, but it's a lake. And it's the most pleasant body of water that you're going to see in the, in the uh, promised land. Flowing out of there, heading south, is the Jordan River. It's about 65 miles long. It's murky most of the time, and it drains into the lowest point on planet Earth, called the Dead Sea. It's dead because everything drains in and it can't drain out because there's nothing lower than that. And all of the water evaporates and the Dead Sea is inundated with actually precious minerals, but nothing can live there. The other body of water we need to know about is the Mediterranean Sea, which gives Israel access to the rest of the world by sea. 
Primarily the land between the Mediterranean Sea and that boundary of the Jordan River, that's Israel. That's where Jesus is going to spend his life. And when we look at that, that's, that's, that's the area that he's going to be going traveling in. Now what I'd like to do is teach you some cities or counties in our vocabulary uh, in, in that promised land area. I'm going to be working my way from the north to the south. And for some of you that maybe have never even seen a map because you're so young, that's going to be from the top of the page to the bottom of the page. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is what we're going to do here is when we, study, when, we, when we learn the life of Jesus, I'm going to tell you from the top to bottom, and then Jesus' life is going to go from bottom to top and then back from top to bottom. That's how I keep it straight in my mind. So here we go from the top down, Capernaum. Capernaum is a beautiful city on the north side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is going to spend most of his ministry. That's base camp for him. Below that is Nazareth, where Jesus grew up as a young boy into as an adult male. And then as we come down on the left there on the west side is Samaria. Samaria is uh, a province, an area of, it used to be the capital of the northern tribes of Israel after their civil war. You need to know that because the, the thoroughbred Jews resent and resented the Samarians. As we come down, there's Jerusalem the eternal capital of the city of God. <laughs> Jerusalem literally means home of peace. Shalom, Jerusalem. And then below that, just below that, like five miles or so is that little town of Bethlehem. So there's the geography that we kind of need to know. And I'm just going to, normally I would come down in and make the, the floor a map and enjoy that and show you where things were taking place. But um, I'm not able to do that because of our pandemic. But what I'd like to do now is just show you how that works. And we're going to learn the life of Jesus Christ up until the Passion Week today. We'll learn it together and memorize it together. It starts with Jesus coming here. This is the icon of his early years. And it begins, the, the, this birth was planned centuries before. No, I'm sorry, millennia before. Before Jesus was ever born, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we find out that in the fall of mankind, we find out very early that what we broke, we can't fix. Only God can. And so God comes and makes a promise to Adam, a covenant to Adam, and, say, and he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to send a new Adam, and he will free you from the power of sin and restore you to the righteousness that you were designed to have. Later on, that promise was made more clear when God comes to Abraham and tells him, I'm going to promise you this. I'm going to promise you a nation. Uh, so many descendants, there'll be a nation. And I'm going to give you the promised land. And Abraham, you're going to be the root of the family tree that brings about a savior. A thousand years after that promise, God comes to David. And he says to King David, one of your sons will be an eternal and everlasting king. That was the plan. That's why when the Bible says in Galatians 4.4, it says, and in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. In the fullness of time. And while uh, Malachi puts an end to the Old Testament revelation, in the fullness of time, God is using all sorts of people to get this birthday ready. As a matter of fact, he uses the Greek culture, Alexander the Useful, 
to make sure the Middle East and, and most of the West speaks one language because everybody needs to know when this baby announcement comes out, they need to be able to read that. They need to be able to deliver these baby announcements. And so they use Herod, Herod the hard hat, you know, Herod the Great. Really? He's just a construction guy that's working for God to build roads everywhere so they could spread the good news with a common language. And while all, while all that is happening, while God is using Herod the Great and Alexander the Great, he's putting in the heart of Israel hope. They'd lost hope. And God is stirring people up and he's reminding them that his promises are true. I want to stop before we get into the study itself and just say, you know, this is a strange time for our country. And I know a lot of people, many people, even in the church, are angry or scared and some of it has to do with a lack of understanding about the omnipower, the all power of a sovereign God. And God rules. He, he uses Alexander the useful and Herod the hard hat and, and Socrates to help us understand some philosophical things. And, and he does, he just, they're just pawns on his chessboard. Friends, right now, I mean, every four years, two parties choose their best narcissist to represent them, I guess, whatever, and we're, we have to submit to that. It's okay. It's okay. They think they're carving their names in stone, and they're going to make a huge difference. From a perspective from heaven, they're just playing a part in God's sovereign plan. Rest. Don't worry. Read your Bible. Turn off your TV. <laughs> Our story begins in the south in Bethlehem, that little town of Bethlehem. 500 years before Jesus was born, Micah promised that the Savior would come to the city where David was born, Bethlehem. And we're going to remember that, uh, that, that event by just remembering the word birth. Jesus was born. The first thing we remember in the life of Jesus is birth. Now, we're going to have hand signs that go with every one of our little cliches or phrases. And the hand sign or whatever for birth is this. We're just going to rock this baby Jesus. So you guys out there in the audience, say the word birth and go like this. Birth. Great. Good job. That's one. We have about nine to go tonight. Today. Tonight. Well, it's going to be a long service. Not a lot is known about the life of Jesus. And so it, it kind of, it, it's, it's his birth. He's got a teenage story we won't find out about. But, and, then, and then all of a sudden he's 30 years, 30, 33 years old and he makes his appearance. This is his introduction. This is his coming forth. This is his debutante event. It's when he is baptized by John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet, and his job is, in, is to introduce the world to the Messiah. Messiah means the promised one. And there is a morning where John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he climbs into that water where, where John is. John's out in the wilderness on the Jordan River, and he baptizes Jesus. And it's not like other baptisms. Because when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him like a dove. And then the Father up, up above says, this is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the last Old Testament prophet all say, this is the man. We're going to remember that event after we say baptized. We're going to say, I'm sorry, birth. We're going to have to say birth. We're going to say baptized by John. This is what it looks like to be in the walkthrough, New Testament. Birth, let's do it. Birth, baptized by John. And the king has received his crown, but the knight in shining armor has never been tested. 
And so the spirit leads him out to the desert in the wilderness where he has to do and prove himself to be worthy. And he is tempted by Satan. And Jesus does what Adam couldn't. The second Adam did in the, in the wilderness what the first Adam couldn't do in a garden. The Garden of Eden. Jesus submits to the will of the Father and obeys him all the way. All the while being hounded and tormented and tempted by Satan. That event we're going to remember seems easy enough and just say, tempted by Satan. Say that out loud. Watch this. Birth, baptized by John, tempted by Satan. Now, Jesus has proved himself. He's been initiated into the world and announced. He's shown himself to be a warrior king. And then he goes to Jerusalem where he's going to start his ministry. That's where the first little ministry activity takes place where he goes and he meets a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader there. He's called a Pharisee. He's a scholar. He's an Old Testament scholar, knows the the word by heart, but he doesn't know what it means. And he knows there's something very special about Jesus. And so he meets him in the, you know, in the night where he, you know, could have a, a quiet, private conversation with Jesus. And Jesus pulls out of him the things that he has memorized but doesn't understand. And it's, somewhat, it's a little bit unfortunate because it's, it's, what we can, it, it's what can happen to us when we study our Bibles, where Jesus is like, you have so much information but no understanding. You have, you have so much knowledge but you have no wisdom. You know what it says but you don't know what it means or the difference it can make in your life. And so he says to Nicodemus, all this, all this scholarly endeavor, you have to be born again. You see, you, just like you've been born once of the flesh, you must see that you have to have a supernatural, miraculous birth, rebirth of the spirit. Born again, it's kind of funny because there's a play on words in Greek. Again is also the word for spirit. So it's born again, born of the spirit. And Nicodemus needs to learn that, yeah, you have to be born again to have eternal life. This is where we know that famous verse that we see in sporting events. John 3, 16 is in this conversation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Second birth. You have to be born again to be right with God. We're going to remember that conversation and we're going to say the word second birth and we'll go second birth. Watch this. Second birth. Let's go back to the beginning with the first birth. We'll go birth. Baptized by John, tempted by Satan. Second birth. Great. I'll tell you what we'll do. It's a good good thing to do. Uh, Live studio audience right here and people at home. If you want to just stand up and do those four hand signs together, look into each other. Social distance, whatever the rules are. Could you do that for just a few seconds? Start with birth and go all the way to second birth. Okay, guys have a seat. Here's a strange thing. Now Jesus is ready to go. It is ministry time, and he's going to head home to Nazareth and get that ministry started. But instead of heading dead north, he veers and takes a detour to Samaria. 
This is very strategic for Jesus, and it's a lesson for us. When he goes to Samaria, it's not an easy way to go. It's actually kind of the badlands. It's dangerous for marauders, but also you're going into a country, Samaria, and the Jews didn't like Samaritans. They, they kind of got mixed racially, and their, their, their view of God was twisted, and they just they weren't liked. They, there's a saying, better, better to be a dog than a Samaritan. And so Jesus goes there with his men, and he's teaching them a lesson. And he meets a woman at high noon at the water well. No one gets water in the Middle East at noon. It's just too hot. She's there by herself because she's a woman of shame. The men are sent into town to get some resources. And while, while they're there, Jesus has a conversation with this woman who's been married five times and currently is sleeping with another man. And the conversation gives her honor. It's a classic uh, interaction where Jesus looks at a woman who's living in shame. And, and it's hard for us to grasp it, but she's a Samaritan. She's a Samaritan woman. She's a Samaritan woman that's famous for her adultery, of bad reputation. Other Samaritan women won't even acknowledge her. And Jesus comes and has a conversation with her that says, salvation is not based on location, ethnicity, or where, you, where you've been or what you've done. Pascal said, man is made in such a way that he cannot exalt himself to be like God, but God is such that he could bend down and lift us up. It's a story of Jesus bending down and lifting up and restoring this woman out of shame and tells her all that she had done, and in that she receives salvation. She's the woman at the well. Famous story, it teaches us, it doesn't matter where you've been, salvation is for all mankind, all men, all women, doesn't matter what your color is, doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, that's it. And we're going to remember woman at the well, we're going to pull up that rope with that bucket of water on it, and we'll say, woman at the well, okay? We have a baptized by John, tempted by Satan, second birth, woman at the well, from here, Jesus is going to go to Nazareth, and when he goes to Nazareth there, we're going to begin the ministry of Jesus officially. This is where he gets formal with his, his purpose, and he goes to Nazareth, and when he does, he goes to his home te uh, temple, and he goes there, and he reads a passage out of Isaiah, and the, uh, the passage in Isaiah is telling, it's a prophecy relating to the Messiah, the promised one. Jesus reads it, closes it, and says, yeah, that's about me. <laughs> And they were like, what? Hey, carpenter boy, I saw you grow up around here. And that's a messianic passage. What you just did is called blasphemy, and we're going to kill you. And they try to throw him off a cliff, and Jesus is rejected by his own people. Sometimes the hardest time to be a good Christian is when you go home. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Jesus is rejected. We'll remember that because it changes this ministry a lot. And we're gonna, we're, we'll do this. We'll start up here on the top and move down. We'll say rejected. Okay? Rejected. After woman at the well, rejection. I'm sorry, the re rejection. Okay? And then from there, he's going to go up to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, that's going to be his ministry headquarters. That's his base camp. That's where he's going to do a lot of his miracles, do his teaching. But before he gets going with that, after his rejection, he's going to select, there's going to be a selection. This is where he picks his 12 disciples. There's a lot of men and women that follow Jesus. We're most famous for those 
12 that he picked, the 12 disciples or followers, but he's going to pick those. We're going to, after we say rejection, we're going to say selection, and we're just going to be picking people out of the crowd to follow Jesus. It goes rejection, selection. Now he's going to spend about two and a half years on that northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, where he's going to start teaching. This is where we hear about the Sermon on the Mount, or sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Hill. It's probably a very similar sermon taught all over the area, and he's going to talk about the values of what it means to be blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person, right? And, and, and how God keeps score and turns their whole worldview upside down. He's introducing people to an eternal perspective on life, on what to care about, what to worry about, and what not to worry about. He's going to tell, in that, he's going to start telling parables. And in those parables, the reason Jesus starts telling parables is because he kept getting so much, in so much trouble in his teaching that he, Jesus realized, you know what, I'm going to start telling these stories that have, like, they're earthly stories, but they have a spiritual meaning. They're kind of hidden. Parables have a hidden meaning. You only see what you can see. And people, some people who had hard hearts, they could only see, I don't know, the physical story, but there was so much more. He told parables. Uh, to, to kind of let the teaching itself sift and determine who would be his followers. Other, another um, a- activity that Jesus found himself doing in those days was participating in miracles. Jesus did miracles to prove himself to be the promised one. He had to show himself to be different than any other rabbi, any other kind of teacher. And so you might know the stories where he fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with just a loaf of bread and some fish. And then he fed uh, 3,000 in another situation with my meager resources. And not only was he the God that provides, he also was the God who protects. He was casting out demons and even raised a little girl from the dead. It was showing that God's miraculous hand was on this Jesus. He was the second Adam. He was the promised one to come. He was validating it with miracles. And when people, he healed a blind man, people always end up like this in these miracles. This section of his ministry in the northern province there of Capernaum, or Capernaum is, we'll say, we'll put one hand over our eye and say, parables, and then we'll put them both over our eyes and go, and then we'll be healed and we'll say, miracles, okay? It goes like this, parables, miracles. So let's look, let's think about the ministry of Jesus, uh, starting with woman at the well, woman at the well, rejection, selection, parables, miracles, Okay, why don't you guys stand up in the crowd here, maybe you at home. Let's do those four. We'll start at uh, woman at the well. Okay, ready? I'm going to do it, and then you're going to do it with your friend. Okay, woman at the well. Rejection. Selection. Parables. Miracles. Okay, do that with your partner at least one time. Okay, great. Have a seat. Well, in light of all of Jesus' teaching in his parables and otherwise, and because of all the miracles that he had done, 
Now, Jesus takes uh, his disciples, these few people, and he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, and he's literally standing in front of the gates of hell. Okay, it's this cave, this cavern that people used to throw their babies into as sacrifice to keep the demons away from the gates of hell. And he says, all right, guys, pop quiz. Who do people say that I am? Oh, people think you're great, Jesus. I mean, some people think you're John the Baptist, like reincarnated. Some people think you're Elijah reincarnated. I mean, some people say you're the best teacher Israel has ever had. And he's, eh, that's not it. And so he turns to Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, oh, you're the promised one. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're him. And God says, Peter, Jesus says to Peter, God gave you that. You're right. God gave you that. And upon this rock, I will build my, my house, my church. First time the word church is upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Go down in there and clean it up. You can do that. Thou art the Christ. We're going to remember that because Peter passes that test for the disciples and we'll put our our fingers to our mouth and say, testimony of Peter, testimony of Peter. Okay. So we have the, the parables and miracles lead to the testimony of Peter. The parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus lead to the testimony of Peter. Now, because those, they got the answer right, Jesus is going to start heading south towards Jerusalem, and he's going to finish things up. He's ready to delegate the ministry of expanding the kingdom of God to these men and women or his followers. But before he gets there, he takes three of his disciples. They're sometimes called the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up to the mountaintop, and he said, okay, guys, I want you to know, I want you to see, I want you to experience who I really am, the full me, me before I was born. And he goes there, and there's this magical moment that takes place that's called the transfiguration. And for a few seconds in in time, like all of eternity stood still and all of the angels gazed and watched and Jesus was transfigured. Uh, We don't know exactly what that means, but it was like his glory was radiating from inside to out. And these three men got to see who Jesus truly was when he wasn't holding back his glory. Who was there? Peter, James, and John. Sure, Jesus but Elijah, who represented all the prophets of the Old Testament, and Moses, who represented all the the teachings of the the law of the Old Testament. And Elijah and Moses were staring up and worshiping Jesus. So it's Jesus, you know, Moses and Elijah and the three men gawking (laughs) in the transfiguration. And so there was that one few, you know, brief second in time where Jesus was who he really was. It's called the transfiguration. What do you do with that? I don't know, but we just came up with this little thing where it's just like glory is raining down like this, transfiguration. Watch how the teaching leads. It goes like this, parables, miracles, testimony of Peter, that leads to the transfiguration. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that again. Parables, miracles, lead the testimony of Peter and the transfiguration. Okay. Um, now, Jesus is going down south. He is heading to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he's, he, it's, it's really getting confrontational because Jesus is not mincing words. He's going to tell it 
just loud and clear from this point forward. And in John chapter 8, there's a very famous chapter where he's going back and forth with uh, some religious leaders. And so he just says, like, they keep, like, who do you, who do you say that you are? And he just says, I'm, I'm, I'm Abraham's greatest dream. I'm the promise to Abraham. I'm the promise to David. I'm the promise to Adam all the way back. And they say, wait, what? You can't be better than Moses. He goes, I'm better than Moses. You can't be better than Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the formal name of Yahweh God. And when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, ego and me in Greek, the religious leaders picked up stones and said, that's blasphemy. You can't even say the name and you are not him. And so they tried to stone him. And after that event, Jesus pulls the men and, and the women that are following him off to the side. They go outside the city, across the other side of the river, actually, the Jordan River. And he says, listen, you've got to count the cost. This, this following me is going to get real very quickly. And for you, he didn't say it, but it's true. You're going to die martyrs. You have to count the cost. And it's, you're going to pay maybe more than you think and maybe even more than you want. But know this that this life's persecution and cost and injury is nothing but dust in the life to come. You don't pay, you invest. Jesus said you have to count the costs, but the costs are investment into an eternal reward coming your way. Nobody regrets following the Lord fully. But he, told, he warns him, you have to count the cost after that experience of trying to kill him, he tells the boys, count the cost. And that's what we're going to do, count the cost. After the transfiguration, we're going to count the cost. Then after that event, he go, he go back in Jerusalem, and everybody's asking the big question, especially his, his followers, why? Why would God send you to do this? What motivates Yahweh, the God of the universe, that you would be here? Why did he make the promise and why are you the fulfillment of that promise? And Jesus tells a story about the heart of God. He says, well, it's kind of like a woman who lost a coin. She turned her whole world upside down. But it was worth it because when she found it, she, she danced. She called her friends. So let's, let's have a party. I don't know. No, 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 no. It's kind of like some of you guys understand this. like a shepherd. A shepherd loses a sheep. And he's, you know, he's going to leave the, uh, the other 99 with some friends to take care of, but he's going to search. He's going to go through the storms. He's going to risk his own life because when he finds that lost sheep, he's going to dance and he's going to bring his friends. This is what it looks to be celebrating. No, it's more than a coin or a sheep. It's more like a man who has two sons and they're both lost. One's lost crazy drunk and one lost crazy religious, but they're both lost. But when they're found, he celebrates and dances and wants everybody to be part of it. Why would God send his only son? Because God so loved the world. And we need to go seek the lost. Seeking the loss is the heart of God. That is what motivates him to send his only son. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world that the world might know God and believe in him. And those who believe in him will have eternal life. After we count the cost, Jesus sends him out seeking the loss. 
seeking the lost, counting the cost, seeking the lost. Here's what the ministry looks like. It is parables, miracles, testimony of Peter, transfiguration, counting the cost, seeking the lost. Why don't you guys stand up and do those, starting with parables, parables, miracles. We only have two more little things to learn. Um, why don't we do, we'll start with parable. We'll do a quick review right now. Follow along with me if you would. Okay, we'll start with parables. Parables, miracles, testimony of Peter, transfiguration, counting the cost, seeking the lost. Let's go back to woman at the well. Okay, well, let's go back. Let's go baptized by John, okay? Baptized by John, tempted by Satan, second birth, Woman at the well, rejection, selection, parables, miracles, testimony of Peter, transfiguration, counting the costs, seeking the loss. You guys want to go all the way back to birth? Can you do that? Yeah, sure. Let's get crazy, okay? That's birth, <laughs> baptized by John, tempted by Satan, second birth, woman at the well, rejection, selection, parables, miracles, testimony of Peter, transfiguration, counting the costs, seeking the loss. Good for you guys. Have a seat. Just a couple more. Jesus ends up uh, just outside of the northern part of Jerusalem, and he finds out that his dear, close, intimate friend, Lazarus, is sick and he, Jesus needs to get there quick. And Jesus says, oh, he's not sick unto death. I mean, this is all for the glory of God. And so Jesus intentionally waits. And Lazarus dies. He's dead four days. And then Jesus shows up. Wow, did he miss an appointment? And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is all to show the power of Yahweh even over death. What men have feared since the day of Adam's fall is no longer boss. And he says, Lazarus come forth and Lazarus comes forth. I, I would love to interview that man after that day, right? What are you afraid of? Nothing. What are you afraid of death? Did it. Kind of wasn't, wasn't what I thought it was. No worries. No worries. It's all good. Jesus says in that experience, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, lives again. Power of Jesus. I quote that verse every time we do a funeral, just in case someone forgot. We're going to remember Lazarus raised, Lazarus raised. And then uh, Jesus is, ends up uh, kind of a little bit north of there, he ends up in Jericho, and there's this wee little man. His name is Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and he kind of like the Jews hate him because he's working for the Romans to collect tax, taxes from them. So he's, you know, and uh, he's such a small guy that Jesus is coming through town by now. Jesus is rather famous and it's somewhat of a parade and he can't see. So he climbs up a tree to just see the face of Jesus. And Jesus walks by in this parade, looks up and sees Zacchaeus and says, you know, come down. I'm going to have dinner at your house. Again, it's the Middle East. It's a shame-based culture. Food is a huge relational connectivity, but it's a place of honor. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you honor. 
I'm coming to your house in front of all these people, and I'm going to show people, like I did that woman at the well, that there's no place you can go that's going to keep me out of your soul. And in that moment of, of redemption, we see what it means to be re repentive, okay? What it means to repent, because Zacchaeus realizes, wow, if I'm right with God, I should get right with all men. And he swears at that table, if I've cheated anyone in my tax gathering, I will pay them back fourfold. And I'm gonna give half of my wealth away. What do I need this for? It's, it's like counter, you know, it's Confederate money. I'm not, I can't take this with me in the real life. So yeah, and he runs out of there hysterical because he's experienced, you know, the, the, res, the, the redemption of Jesus Christ. He has had an audience with the great king. Everyone else thought he was shameful, and Jesus said, but I can come down and lift you up. We're going to remember Zacchaeus, and we're going to use our other hand, and we'll say, Zacchaeus prays. That's Jesus going, there you go, Zacchaeus. I love the story. It says, even short people can be saved by God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so here's this little after, after the fact. We have counting the costs, seeking the lost, Lazarus raised, Zacchaeus prays. That's what those four look like, okay? Counting the costs, seeking the lost, Lazarus raised, Zacchaeus praised, okay? Um, you guys want to try to practice that together? We're done. This is it. I've got a couple little applications in a second. You know what? Let me, let me give you part one of application. One is this, when you, look at the, if, when you look at the life of Jesus and the people he attracted to travel with him for three years, they, I mean, they're traveling, like they're camping for three years. He takes Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon the Zealot means I, they thought that the best way to get independence for Israel was a violent military takeover. And they were known for like causing riots and stabbing people, uh, Romans, particularly Roman soldiers, because they were gonna take it back with blood. On the other extreme to that is Matthew, who's a tax collector working for Romans, taxing Jews. So we have a Jew that wants a military takeover, violent takeover, and we have a tax collector for the Romans taxing Jews. Everyone else pretty much fits somewhere in between them. My point is, you couldn't have two opposite people really hating each other for the most part, politically and otherwise. And Jesus brings them all together and he just says, can you love something more than your values and ideals and these, all this stuff that you let contaminate your heart? Is there something bigger than that? Maybe the kingdom of God and the king who saves you? Jesus says, they're going to know your Christians by your love for one another. His prayer to us, for us, he prayed to them and he's praying for us, was for our unity. Because unity is not just a, a value. Unity is a supernatural visitation from the Spirit of God on a church. And it has the power of, of redemption. It is the means by which the Spirit is going to use to translate the gospel to any culture. Look how they are one. And so Jesus says, look, it is a supernatural event that requires choice on an individual level. Choice. You have to choose to submit to the Spirit to be unified. Right now, our country is being torn apart. I think it's on a spiritual level. It's not just politicians and media. There's, there's demons in this. He loves division and chaos. It's not supposed to affect the church because this is not... I mean, I would give my life for this country... 
but it's not my home, right? It's not our home, you guys. He's our king. That's our kingdom. And with that, we can be at peace with one another and one with one another. You are a consequence of what you spend your mind, what you spend your time thinking on. What your mind thinks you become, what do you think about? You think about the glory of God, the power of salvation, the unity of the spirit, and the church can do whatever the king commands. There's power in unity, but unity requires a choice. That's, I, I love the story of the gospels, if nothing else, just looking at that crazy bunch of mutts that come together and change the world because they'd rather be one with Christ, therefore one with each other for a common purpose. Let's be like that. Let's be like that. When we talk about the future in, 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 in the continuation of the walk through the Bible, now we're in the Holy Week at this point. This is the life of Jesus. We learned it right now. I think there's 10 hand signs, but they all point to the destiny of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born so that he would die We'll tell you more about that in weeks to come. We do part two and part three, and we do the walkthrough uh, again. Why don't we just right now, why don't we all stand up together? We're going to review um, the, uh, the New Testament walkthrough that we've learned so far. I'm going to pray. Kevin and Maurice is going to come up because the entire youth ministry for winter retreat did the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's going to do the Old Testament. We're going to pick it up with the New Testament and then be dismissed after that, Okay. Let's remember the life of Jesus Christ. We'll start with him being born. Ready? Birth. Baptized by John. Tempted by Satan. Second, birth. Woman at the well. Rejection. Selection. Parables. Miracles. Testimony of Peter. Transfiguration. Huh? Counting the cost. Seeking the lost, Lazarus raised, Zacchaeus praised. We've had to do this very quickly uh, without a whole lot of uh, review and repetition. So you can do that at home this week. Uh, Kevin, why don't you come up here? Kevin has provided us all sorts of resources on the web so that we can go back and learn. He has a, I think you have a video online, right? We do, yeah. We have an Old that. Testament review video that you can download and watch to make sure you've got that Old Testament, those 40 words and hand signs memorized and ready to go. We've got a PDF of all of the words that Matt taught through today so you can practice, you can cover them up, look at them, see what you can remember, and keep going from there. Great. Get ready for part two. You remember the Old Testament walkthrough? I do. Okay, let's see if you do. You, we gotta do it in, in order, so you'll be over there. And then you're going to hand off to me. And nope. if you at home did the Old Testament with us back in January, please stand up and, and do this with us. And let's see pop quiz. How it much starts at creation, I think, right? I believe so. Let's go. Ready? Creation, creation, fall, flood, nations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Passover, law, tabernacle, offerings, feasts. Counting, spying, wandering, dying. Second, law. Joshua, divide, conquer. Twelve tribes, judges, Deborah, Gideon, Samson. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes except Ruth and Samuel. United Kingdom, Saul, no heart. 
David, whole heart. Solomon, half heart. Divided kingdom. Mostly bad kings. Prophets speak. Israel, scattered. Judah is exiled. Judah returned. Zerubbabel, temple. Esther, queen. Ezra, people. Nehemiah, walls. Wait, Christ. Birth. Birth. Baptized by John. Tempted by Satan. Second birth. Woman at the well. Rejection. Selection. Parables. Miracles. Testimony of Peter. Transfiguration. Counting the costs. Seeking the lost. Lazarus raised. Zacchaeus praised. To be continued. Give yourselves a hand. Let me pray. Lord, it is great to see the big picture, the whole story. We live in a great time where we can kind of look back and see all that you've done so that we're not so afraid in the present and what looks like going to happen in the future. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you would give us the faith of those Old Testament saints that just wished for, hoped for, maybe dreamed about the day that Jesus would be born in that town of Bethlehem. Let us think of our future the way they did men and women of faith, believing that you are sovereign. You are powerful. You are in control. You have a plan and you love us. It is the love of God that compels all things that you do. Lord, help us be a unified church. Help us choose to love your kingdom come more than this kingdom here. I'd ask that, Lord, you would fill our minds. What we think about you is the most important thing about us. I'd ask that you would fill our minds with true things about who you are and what you do. Lord, I'd ask that you bless us, bless our church, that we might meditate on these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Grace. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.